When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Get Booked is sponsored in part by our giveaway of the best mysteries and thrillers of the year so far. So if you are a mystery and thriller reader, this one is for you. We're giving away the 10 best mysteries and thrillers of the year so far as far as we are concerned, to one Lucky Book Riot reader or podcast listener. The prize plaque includes Miracle Creek by Angie Kim, The Lost Man by Jane Harper, American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson, and more. Go to bookriot.com slash bestmysteries to enter to win. And don't forget to leave your lights on. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 198, and we are recording on September 17th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, Amanda. Hey. I try so hard not to laugh when you do (laughs) pre-rolls, but you're so, like, you're so funny. (laughs) I can tell that in the background it's going to be, like, me chuckling. Aw, thanks. (laughs) I try to have a little fun with it because why not? (laughs) Do, 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 do. do. I mean, that line, I think, did you write that line? I think you did write that line. I did. It cracks me up every time I read it. So, like, I can't not put a little spin (laughs) on it. Uh, Well, anyway, thank you all for tuning in to The Jen and Amanda Show. (laughs) If you are a newcomer, welcome. As we said at the top, this is a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations, which means you send us questions about what you should read next, what you should get for a friend or a family member who loves books, maybe what you should pick for your next book club, and we will do our best to find you your next great read. You can send those questions either by email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. If you have a time-sensitive question, like your traveling and you need a book recommendation by a certain date or it's a birthday or something, please, please, please put time sensitive in the subject line or the first line of the form and then the date that you're hoping to get a response by. If we don't think we'll get to it on air, we will try to email you an answer instead. So keep an eye out for those. Let's see. We have lots of feedback. Thank y'all for writing Mm -hmm. in. Uh, Kate says, for the question about pioneer life, Carla Kelly, best known for her Regency romances, has also written a book of short stories about mostly women connected to the U.S. Army during the Indian Wars called Here's to the Ladies, Stories of the Frontier Army. So maybe pick that up. And then for the person in search of a case of the Diginos, Boomtown, (laughs) I Contain Multitudes, How Not to Be Wrong, and then feedback for the person who wanted Airplane Magical Mysteries, Sorcerer to the Crown and Uprooted. Those were all from Miranda. Mm -hmm. Yes, good picks all. Uh, And then Victoria says, for the reader who wanted a fantasy romance with breathing fire dragons, the Terran Soul (laughs) series by C.L. Wilson. The first in the series is called The Lord of the Fading Lands. So thank you all for all of that great feedback. Amanda, will you read us our first question? And then I'll be back to tell us about our first sponsor. 
I will. Our first question is from Tamika, who says, I'm from Australia, and it's currently winter where I am in August at the moment, but in October, it'll be spring, and I'm going on vacation to somewhere sunny, hot, and relaxing. I was hoping you could recommend me some books to bring for the trip. Summer books are good. I also like thrillers and horror. Weird for the summer, but oh well. I like authors like Taylor Jenkins Reid. No YA if you can. All right, so before we get into that, it is time to tell you about our next sponsor, which is All That's Dead by Stuart McBride, also a mystery slash thriller. He is a big hit, number one hit in the UK and has been for many years. And this is Scottish crime fiction. Very interesting. Very interesting. In this one, Logan McRae is looking forward to a nice, simple case, something to ease him back into work after a year off in the sick. Is that a phrase that I don't know on the sick? Mm-mm. Hmm. Mm-mm. Interesting. I'm going to have to look maybe, that up. Maybe a UK thing? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to look that up. Uh, so the powers that be have other ideas. A high-profile anti-independence campaigner has gone missing, leaving nothing but bloodstains behind. And there's a war brewing between the factions for and against Scottish nationalism. It's all playing out in the media, and Logan's superiors want results. And if Logan can't stop them, it won't just be his career that dies. Uh-oh. So <laughs> this is for readers of Ian Rankin, Val McDermott, and Peter Robinson, or fans of dark, gritty crime dramas like The Fall, The Bodyguard, Happy Valley, and Killing Eve. Hello, interests. Uh, <laughs> and again, that is All That's Dead by Stuart McBride. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. All right, Amanda, what do you have for this person for vacation reads? Okay, um, so I focused on the, like, thriller-horror kind of uh, stuff, and Taylor Jenkins Reid being a modern contemporary writer, so I went with Confessions of Franny Langton by Sarah Collins, and this book does come with trigger warnings for slavery and all of the horrible things that come along with that, including harm to children, rape, and incest. So I loved this book so much. It takes place during Victorian England. It, well, a little bit before that. Um, and Franny Langton is a former slave. She's a servant in the house of a really well-known English academic and his wife, um, who is French in, in England. Um, and she has been accused of murdering them, the academic and his wife. Um, she has no memory of the, of the night of the murders. She just woke up in bed with the wife of the guy that she works for, uh, covered in her blood, and does not remember how she got there or anything that happened that night. So when the book opens, it's her trial. And you know that Franny is doomed. Like, she's a black woman who's been accused of murdering two white people in England um, right after the transport of slaves had become outlawed and so like it's kind of a foregone conclusion that no matter what the evidence shows she's going to go to jail she herself does not like i said have any memory and so you go back in time between her trial and her life growing up on a plantation in jamaica to how she got to the uk and her relationship with the academic guy that she's working for and his wife um, I will say that this was a surprise queer read. I didn't know that going in, um, but it is. And that it's just, Franny is such a good narrator. And she is such a good character because she is like, she's not entirely, what am I trying to say? Like a victim of her circumstances. She is also kind of a terrible person in a lot of ways. But um, the question that I think this book is poking at, you know, is, is she a terrible person? Because like, like a lot of people, she's like selfish and has a bad temper and all of that. Or is it like because of how she was born and all of this terrible circumstances of her life that led her up to this moment? Um, and Franny herself isn't trying to like 
give you an answer. She's just telling you about her life. And it's so fascinating and like brutal. And her relationship with Marguerite, the wife, um, is is it's complicated and tangly and I don't know, it's just kind of, like I would have loved to have read this on a beach, even though it's like really violent and there are a lot of parts of it that are hard to read. It's so fast paced and you I could not put it down. Like I could not wait to find out what happened to Franny, both in the past, like how she got to the UK, how she left slavery, like how did you how did that happen? You know, and how did you end up in the home of this man who is like UK the UK's most well known eugenicist, basically. Like where did that come from? Um and like did she do it? You know? Uh which is the ultimate question for a murder mystery is like who done it? If it wasn't her, then who was it? And if it was her, then why? Um, which you get a lot of, there's a lot of possible answers there because everyone in this book is terrible. <laughs> everyone is terrible. <laughs> so that's The Confessions of Franny Langton by Sarah Collins. Oh, I do love an everyone is terrible read. Me too. It's like, <laughs> yes, give me all the terribleness. I don't know why. I know a lot of people don't like that kind of thing, but like, I really do love it. <laughs> it's a wheelhouse. It's a wheelhouse. It is. <laughs> um, I picked, yeah, so clearly you don't mind some darkness, which is great. And I picked Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures by Emma Straub, which does come with trigger warnings for depression and suicide. And it's it's an interesting book because it both has some darkness in it, but it's also got a lot of like gauze like golden slash silver age Hollywood going on. So it starts in, well, the timeline jumps around a little bit. The main character is born as Elsa Emerson in like Nowheresville, Wisconsin. And her family actually owns the local playhouse. And so she gets like to be part of, you know, theater from a very young age. And she really loves it. And then, you know, terrible things happen. And she goes to when she's a teenager, she gets married and goes to Los Angeles and gets discovered by a Hollywood executive who, like, renames her and gives her a new hair color and, like, you know, all of the things. The big Hollywood makeover. And she becomes, you know, an Academy Award-winning actress and also gets roped into all of the Hollywood things that were going on then like, you know, being owned by a studio and, like, becomes somebody's beard, kind of, and, you know, <laughs> has, like, all of these very intense experiences, some of which are great and some of which are terrible. And you watch, you sort of get this multi-timeline view of like, how did she get here? What did she give up? What did she gain? What does it ultimately mean for her? Like, can she ever be herself if she's always acting, even, you know, off screen? So it's really fascinating. And I feel like it has that sort of Taylor Jenkins read vibe also. And it's a very good vacation book. Like, I feel like it's a book you can get lost in very easily. And that time period is super interesting, I think, uh, as well. So again, that is Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures by Emma Straub. All right. The next question is from Nita, who says, my son is turning 15 next week and I always get him a book or five for his birthday. <laughs> this past year, he's been really into graphic novels. He loved Scott Pilgrim and the movie. And having read The Watchmen myself some years ago, I gave him a copy and he loved it. We have Neil Gaiman's The Sandman and Marvel 1602 in the house, which I have not read yet, but I'm looking for some other graphic novels he might enjoy. Any suggestions? Amanda, what you got? Okay, I picked Lazarus by Greg Rucka, and it's illustrated by Michael Lark. And I, uh, I, I like went back and forth on this recommendation a bit because it is really violent, and I wouldn't usually, I don't think, recommend it to somebody who's fourteen going on fifteen. But if he liked The Watchmen, then he's fine, and even Sandman. Like, so the, I think the darkness level of uh, Lazarus is like 
totally fine for someone who tolerated the Watchmen. Um, so this takes place in the like near future. It's a dystopia where the government kind of doesn't really totally exist anymore. And like the world is ruled by these oligarchical families um, who guard, you know, the resources, the natural resources and the wealth of the places that they rule over. And everyone else, they call everyone else the waste. And they're just sort of like, struggling to survive um forever carlisle is the name of the main character she is the what do they call it the lazarus obviously it's in the title they, she's the lazarus of the carlisle family and a lazarus is a person who can be resurrected she's like their bodyguard basically and she goes off on all these missions for them to help them secure their place in this oligarchical societal structure um she does like spying for them she defends them like bodily like an actual bodyguard and she's genetically engineered so that when she's injured she can be resurrected so hence the name lazarus like from the bible so when the comic opens she's uh she gets into a fight in front of like defending the family home she gets shot dead uh, and then, like, woken up again, which is kind of a painful and annoying process for her. Um, and then you go off through the rest of the graphic novel. This collects volume or collects the floppies one through four. And there are several volumes out. So if he likes it, he can, you know, read lots and lots and lots of them. Um, and so in volume one, she's solving kind of the mystery of, like, who she is and how she relates to who she calls her brothers and sisters and her father. Like, is she actually their genetic sibling? Like, is there is their mother her mother that kind of thing um and how she became the lazarus because she doesn't have a lot of memory of her childhood or uh like the time before her last resurrection um and then you're also getting into like the interpersonal drama of the family and like who's struggling for power all that political intrigue um and at the same time you're following a few storylines of people who live in the waste who are like you know rebels who are conspiring against the family and like just want to survive and have like water and food and all these basic human necessities so it is a lot about like um the about like late stage capitalism and its inevitable end but also it's kind of just an adventure about this woman who cannot be killed by any uh normal means there are a lot of duels between the lazaruses of various families that are really fascinating um and just like fun in like a you know james bond shoot 'em up kind of way um so that's lazarus volume one by greg rucka and michael lark yeah i'll co-sign that one uh, so I also was like, uh, 15, like, what's yeah, the right? It's a weird age. <laughs> it's a weird age. But yeah, exactly. If Watchmen is cool, then my pick should also be fine. It's Pretty Deadly by Kelly Sue DeConnick, uh, with illustration and art from Emma Rios. And I will give you a content warning for nudity and prostitution pretty early on in this volume. But again, like, Watchmen has <laughs> stuff. So I think it's, and, and yeah, Sandman too. I think it's fine. I just want you to be aware is all. Uh, and Pretty Deadly is fascinating to me because it's like a western but it's also mythological and a dead bunny is narrating half the story like it's so strange and weird and it's so well done and the art is gorgeous and i just think it's it's a little bit singular in my experience of of comics and graphic novels and so i think um somebody who wants to like see what is possible you know would get a lot out of this and it's just it's also just a great read uh so yes so like i said it's a western and it is about death's daughter whose name is Ginny, because of course and uh (laughs) she is sort of on a quest And I don't want to say too much more about the actual (laughs) plot. Also, it's like hard to summarize this plot. But, but what you're looking at here is like a really intense, like father daughter struggle. There's like Western shoot 'em ups. There's, you know, really amazing sort of storytelling and almost like songs. And I think that 
in the way that Watchmen, you know, sort of mixed up how it told the story. Uh, Pretty Deadly is doing something, I mean, not the same kind of thing, but it's also playing with the narrative structure of a graphic novel. And again, the art, like the way that Emma Rios marries her art to the way that the narrative structure is playing around with is amazing. And volume two is also really, really good. Um, I just love this comic so much. So I feel like it's a, it's, it's definitely a must read. Uh, so again, that's Pretty Deadly. Volume one is called The Shrike. And that is by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Emma Rios. Every character in that in that story is like so cosplayable. Oh, so I love true. It so, so much. True. I love it so much. Yeah. Death Face Jenny. Yes. So good. Okay. Question three is from Lauren, who says, last year I was hashtag blessed to get a job at my dream company, and I'm currently moving from entry level to mid-career level responsibilities, aka big kid stuff, as I like to think, to stave off imposter syndrome. I have such a supportive work community as I grow into new responsibilities, but I'm wondering if you could recommend books with practical advice for a woman stepping into leadership and big girl responsibilities for the first time. I've read Lean In, You Are a Badass, and a lot of Brene Brown and tested the waters of some general business books, but I'd love the practical millennial perspective of women moving from entry level to a management role and managing people for the first time. Okay, I'm going to keep going. I picked No Hard Feelings, The Secret Power of Embracing Emotions at Work. It's by Liz Fosslein and Molly West Duffy, who are themselves millennials. Uh, One of them worked at Genius. Maybe it might still work at Genius and like kind of you know, climbed the ranks there. Um, and this is such a great book for people who are who are going into management for the first time, because it is all about like handling not just your emotions, but the emotions of your direct reports, and also the emotions of your boss, which is something that I don't think we talk about enough in career books. Um, like managing up isn't a thing that you should have to do all the time necessarily, but it often just kind of is. Um, and it's a soft skill that you really need to develop. So this book is great because it it has it contains a lot of like really goofy illustrations in a very like Instagram meme kind of way, but they're actually very helpful. Um, and it's both about how to prevent yourself from like getting burned out by your feelings, by uh, like practical advice for how to not get so emotionally involved in your various projects that at the end of the day, you just want to like potato. <laughs> um, and then also how to identify which of your feelings are appropriate to express and how at work, like for everything from like, you're jealous that that person got a new computer and you didn't to like your direct report is having a, a mild breakdown and you like just want her to get out of your office. Like, what do you do? Um, so it's super, super useful, very practical. And it's also, and I think it's because it's written by millennials, they make a real attempt at addressing these things in an intersectional fashion. Like they talk about how people who aren't on the gender binary are going to have a harder time um, with uh, like a lot of these experiences in the workplace. And they also, they like, they talk about how if you are a, a, a person who is in management and you're talking to a direct report about how they are managing their feelings, you really need to be aware of the language you're using depending on the person's ethnicity or race because a a lot of times people of color are, you know, given feedback about their emotional expressions that is racist or um, marginalizing. So like they do consider all of those things, which I have legitimately never read in a business book unless it's talking about women and like how women have certain things to deal with. But I've never seen any of that other stuff addressed. So I was really appreciative of that. Um, so that's No Hard Feelings by Liz Fosslein and Molly West Duffy. 
Yeah, this is a great question. I was like, oh, if only there was a book like Ask a Manager. And then I found out that there literally <laughs> is an Ask a Manager book. Ask a Manager has been a column on the internet for a long time. Mm -hmm. That is really great. People write in with their manager questions. And Allison Green has been answering them for years with very funny, frank, actually useful advice. And lo and behold, there's a book. So this is Ask a Manager by Allison Green. And yeah, super great, really practical advice about all of the most awkward parts of, of decision making. Um, and, you know, it's it's dealing with coworkers. It's being, you know, yeah, having being micromanaged or not managed at all by your higher ups, like what to do with your direct reports, what to do when your boss is unhappy, like and especially for middle management where you are managing both up and down. It's it's so complicated sometimes. And all of that is taken into the account. Uh, and so and like there's also like, you know, what happens if you get drunk at the holiday party advice in there, <laughs> which is relevant to our lives. So, so, yeah, I think this is a book that I'm going to get for myself for sure. And and there's so many great archives online, too, if you want to get a head start. But, yeah, super, super big fan of Ask a Manager. So, again, that's the book for Horm of Ask a Manager by Allison Green. All right, let's see. The next question is from Christina, who says, My best friend and I created a long-distance book club, Hawaii to Boston, with some other wonderful women who were interested. I've never been part of a book club before, and I'm so nervous about picking an interesting read that will spark discussion. There are no restrictions on genre, author, etc., but I would prefer to select a book that's written by a woman. My personal preferences lean heavily towards fantasy, not sure that's best for a group, true crime, and mystery thrillers. Any suggestions? for a book that will drive thought-provoking discussion would be greatly appreciated. Um, Amanda, what you got? Okay, I picked the last thing that my book club read, which was An American Marriage by Tiari Jones, which is neither true crime nor mystery nor fantasy, but it reads, I think, a little bit like a true crime and I think would appeal to a lot of the same things that people like about like how a crime impacts the family of the victims, except in this case, the victim is the incarcerated person. So uh, I'm getting like down a whole rabbit hole. So this is about a newlywed couple, Celestial and Roy. Um, they are from, they're both from Georgia. They are celebrating their, they've been married for I think a year when the book opens. Uh, and they are down in Louisiana to visit Roy's parents. And while they're there staying at a local hotel, Roy gets arrested for sexually assaulting another person staying at the hotel, which he did not do. Um, he's sentenced to prison to sentenced to 12 years in prison um and then that's like the first chapter and then after that you're following the two of them as they try to live out this sentence and like what happens to their marriage oh the salient point here is that this is a black couple and so he being falsely accused of a crime and then incarcerated and like what she's supposed to do with that um and she's also uh the person who's like there for her you know the whole time while her husband is in jail is her childhood best friend who is also in love with her. So that's like a wrinkle. Um, so while she is, while Celestial is out, you know, kind of living her life, trying to get Roy out of prison, her uncle is a um, lawyer and they're like continually, continuing to appeal his case and all of that. Um, she becomes a really well-known artist. She makes dolls and then opens a store. So like her life, her personal life starts to involve more and more success and like personal happiness outside of her marriage. And she's starting to question, you know, like, how much am I supposed to give up of my 
adulthood for this man who I was only married to for a year, you know. And then, of course, Roy in prison is like latched on to his marriage to Celestial because as he sees it, she's the only thing that he's ever going to be able to get back when he gets out. And eventually he does get out. And then you have to like watch that happen. <laughs> like, What's that going to be like? Because he gets out early. I think he's been in jail for five years when he's released. Um, and she's just kind of moved on. Sort of? Or has she? Like, this is the question that you're waiting to ask. And it was an Oprah book club selection. My book club had, like, a two-hour-long conversation about this book. It was so great. Because their marriage isn't the only interesting marriage in the book. There's also, like, the marriage of his parents, who, you know, they've been together for, like, 50-plus years. And when when Roy's mom dies... His dad buries her with his own two hands. And like, that's what our my book club talked about was like, is that normal? Like, is that what love is supposed to look like? And we went to this whole discussion about that. It's amazing. It was really, really great. So that's An American Marriage by Tayari Jones. So my pick is a sci-fi pick. It's a little dark, but you said true crime mystery thrillers were on the table, and it's certainly not more dark than that. Uh, It's The Light Brigade by Cameron Hurley, and this comes with trigger warnings for torture, harm to children, and gore. Gore! It is, it is, (laughs) no, it's like graphically gory in certain moments because this is a war novel. So this is a sci-fi war novel. Uh, If in this sort of future, the powers that be have figured out how to send people to various locations in time and space by like, basically like, it's like the Star Trek thing, like you dissolve them and then reconstitute them again. They turn you into light, send you to whatever battlefront, maybe it's on Earth, maybe it's on Mars, wherever. And, you know, you get reassembled and you do your job and then you go back to base. But some people respond poorly to this and seem to have hallucinations and or real experiences, question mark, that don't match up with their comrades. And Dietz, who's fresh in the infantry, begins to experience things that don't sync up with the rest of the platoon. And so you follow Dietz as, like, they're being deployed on all of these missions and, you know, what's happening to them and, like, why is it happening? And is this time travel? Question mark. Like, there's so many, there's so many interesting things going on in terms of figuring out the mechanics of what's happening. But even more than that, this is a really, really thoughtful, which is a weird book, a weird word to use about a book that I had to give like trigger warnings for. But it's a really incredibly thoughtful look at like what war is and what it does to the people involved in it. And to the people who are caught in it. And, like, what would you choose to do if you thought there was another option? Or if you didn't think there was another option? And, like, it handles these big, big questions in ways that are really interesting, I think, and really thought-provoking. And I feel like I would have loved to have read this with a book group because, first of all, just talking about the structure of the book, because it does jump around a whole lot based on Dietz's experiences. And then also, you know, there's, there's like, I'm being cagey about Dietz's pronouns. There's a reason for that. You could talk about that. Um, there's also, you know, the discussion of how accurate a representation of this is 
And you could talk about the interplay between the different platoon members. There's a lot of character work going on that's really fascinating. And then, yeah, like, what other war novels have you read and where does this stack up to them? Like, I have so many things I want to talk about. Like, I just, like, wrote your book club for you. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. But, like, there's so many things you could talk about here and it's really interesting. And I think Hurley, it's funny because, you know, I've read a lot of Cameron Hurley's work and... Most of them are series, and, like, all of them do something really super interesting. But I think this is the one that I have found the most... Like, I can't get these questions out of my brain. They're just stuck in there forever now, thanks Mm. to this book. So, again, that's The Light Brigade by Cameron Hurley. All right. Before we go farther, we're going to talk about our next sponsor, which is Loki, colon... Where Mischief Lies, which is by Mackenzie Lee, who I love. And it's read by Oliver Wyman because this sponsor is specifically the Penguin Random House audio version. So if you didn't know, Mackenzie Lee, who wrote The the Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue, which is like a lovely Regency LGBTQYA romp, um, is writing three YA novels um, about characters in the Marvel Universe, like as young adults. And so the first one, obviously, is Loki. Again, colon, Where Mischief Lies. I don't know why I like saying that, but I do. So this is like, of course, before the Avengers and all of that young Loki, he really wants to prove himself as, as, you know, being capable and heroic and like not terrible and depraved and a villain and escapable, escapably evil, you know, but like everyone is kind of suspicious of him, except for Amora, who is Asgard sorceress in training, um, who like they become friends and she sees that he's got value outside of um, just being this foil to Thor. Um, she really sees the best in him. But then Loki Loki and Amora cause the destruction of a really prized possession in Asgard. Amora is banished to Earth and her punishment includes her powers like slowly fading away. Um, and so Loki becomes really anguished about it um, and starts letting Thor kind of take over as like the universally adored. Like he stops fighting for affection from anybody basically uh and then asgardian magic is detected on earth in relation to a string of mysterious murders and so odin sends loki down there to investigate and it happens to be 19th century 19th century london yes so he goes on this journey as loki that leads him to uncover like who the murderer is so there's like a murder mystery and some romance and loki is i have i haven't read it yet but i have heard from several sources that he is like canon queer in this book which yay that's exactly what i would expect from mackenzie lee thank you very much so go check it out it's loki where mischief lies by mackenzie lee which i was going to read but then my friend who is a high school teacher stole it from me to give to her students (gasps) dasp it's fine. She's giving it to her students. I get it. Okay. <laughs> fine. The kids can have the YA novel. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. So question five is from DK, who says, I have a wonderful colleague who is preparing to adopt a child from Colombia. She doesn't know a great deal yet, but knows that the child will be between eight and ten. I would love to get her some books that they could read aloud together. My colleague and her family are currently taking Spanish classes, and the child will be in the process of learning English. Any thoughts on a good read that might help to ease the adjustments that will be happening in some small way? Okay, Jen, what you got? I picked a book that my library hole didn't come in yet, so I didn't get to see it in person, but I was poking around at it online, and it looks great. It's Lupe Vargas and Her Super Best Friend by Amy Costales and Alexandra Artigas. And this book is bilingual, so it is in English and Spanish, so everybody can read it together in whichever version they are most competent in. 
And it's about Lupe and Maritza, who are best friends. They can do anything they want. They have great times playing pirates and scientists and heroes. And, you know, when they have to go home or, like, be apart from each other, life just isn't as fun. And then one day they get into a fight, which does happen, and they have to figure out, like, how to make it right. And I thought that this kind of book, which isn't about, like, coming to a new country or, like, Having a new family, like those things are important to learn about and talk about, but maybe also something that was just about like having a friend and having fun might be a nice addition to the stacks. Um, and again, like a bilingual book that they can read together in whichever language is, feels the most appropriate, like that will be super useful. And the illustrations look so sweet and fun. Uh, so this is the kind of thing I thought might just be a nice addition to the library to have. So again, that's Lupe Vargas and her super best friend by Amy Costales and Alexandra Artigas is the illustrator. Okay, I picked uh, Juana y Lucas by Juana Medina, which Vanessa Diaz recommended also on the show when she was a guest a couple of weeks ago. Um, but this feels like so on the nose that I had to pick it. It's about a little girl named Juana who has a dog named Lucas. He's her best friend. She lives in Bogota, Colombia, um, and she like has a really great life and is you know, it's, it's, the book opens in her, on her first day of school, which she's like super excited about. But then she finds out that her class is going to learn the English. And this is what they call it through the whole book, which I love. It is adorable. And she really doesn't want to because it's so hard. Like it's a hard language to learn. And why? Like there's no point. Um, there's a part in the book where she talks about where she goes in this little like mini rant about like, why does the word read and the word read look the same, but sound <laughs> different? And how am I supposed to know that this language is dumb? And I was like, you're right. That is dumb. I have no explanation for you, Juana. Um, but then she finds out that her family uh, is planning a really special trip when well, that she will need to have like a functional grasp of English to go on. So she starts to like care a little bit. And the book is bilingual. There's a lot of Spanish in it. There's a lot of English in it. And the girl is about the age of the child that your colleague is going to be adopting. And so I think that she will relate. And the family, your colleague and her family will relate to a lot of what's happening um, here and like how hard it is to learn a new language, um, but how it is ultimately worth it. And there are also like, I think some kind of tips that you could pick up here about how best to teach, like the best ways to get a child used to like the weird quirkiness of English. So that's Juana E. Lucas by Juana Medina. Nice. All right. Let's see. Okay. So the next question is from Rue, who says, I'm looking for recommendations by authors who are not from the U.S. or more specifically just anything from the other side of the world. I have so little international books. It feels like I'm limiting myself to one country, one kind of book. I recently read Gumi Ho by Kat Cho, which I really liked. And I'm reading I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter by Erica Sanchez, a book which I'm relating to a lot since I'm Latinx. Some books I really like slash love are The Rest of Us Just Live Here by Patrick Ness, Eliza and her Monsters by Francesca Zappia, and any series slash book that Rick Riordan has worked on or presented. Yeah, <laughs> fair. fair. Uh, I'm open to any genre, though I have a tendency to like books that mix the real world with a bit of fantasy slash supernatural. Bonus if there is LGBT and mental illness rep in the book. What did you pick? Okay, um, I, w I took you literally and went to like the actual other side of the globe for this one. Um, so I picked Convenience Store Woman by Siaka Murata, which is translated by Jenny Tapley Takamori, and it takes place in Japan. And I, it will be up to you whether or not there is mental illness representation in this book, because I could not decide. And I've read so many different reviews. 
I haven't found anything from the author one way or the other, so I don't know. You can read it and let me know what you think. But the main character's name is Kiko, and she, as a child, was considered very strange. She doesn't um, know how to interact with people. She doesn't really have a lot of... Un- she has no, like, real emotional affect. Her tendency to, to like, her reaction, her initial reaction to people who uh, aggravate her is usually violence. Um, and so her parents get, you know, obviously very concerned about her and so do her teachers. And so she has to learn as a young girl to imitate people's facial expressions so that she seems more normal and, like, has to learn when it is and is not appropriate to, you know, like, punch someone in the face when they get on your nerves, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, so she has almost no friends, no romantic life at all. And she gets a job at a convenience store when she's 18. And then when the book opens, she's 36. She's been in the same job. She's never had a boyfriend. She has a few friends and a good relationship with her sister um, and is like totally fine with her life. She really enjoys working at the convenience store because it gives her a blueprint for how to be normal. Like she makes the same, she sees the same customers almost every day. She wears the same, she's like told what to wear. It's the uniform. You know, there's a code of conduct. There's a, a rule manual. And her life has found structure and order in the convenience store. But then one day, a really bitter and cynical and terrible dude gets hired uh, in the convenience store and, like, starts kind of making her question her choices. Like, um, aren't you worried that people are going to start giving you, you know, crap for not having babies or for not being married? And then her friends start asking her similar questions. So she starts really reexamining, like, whether or not she's making the right choices in her life. And the reason I said that thing about mental illness at the beginning is because I thought – I the way that I read the book was that she was kind of a sociopath. Like – she has no empathy and she has no like real ability to connect to other people except when they are useful to her. And her first reaction is very frequently violence. And she's had to like train herself out of that almost. Um, but other reviewers I, I, I read said that the character was supposed to be like on the autism spectrum. I don't know. Like, I, you know, I, I have no idea which one of those is right or if neither of those are right. Um, so you can read that and come to your own conclusions. But it's so interesting because she like it's harming no one you know like she's just a woman who's doing a job she enjoys uh who is like nice to her family and harming no one but the whole but just that existence like the fact of her life where she's not having babies she doesn't care about getting married she's just pleasing herself and does not care about anyone else like that is so rebellious and weird and people are so like confused by her um that that's what the whole like there's a whole book there uh, there's a whole book about a woman who's just living her life like how is that possible but it is because that's true a whole like a woman who is just you know living her best life and does not care about what anybody else thinks about her um is kind of a revolutionary act no matter you know whether she's doing it because she is maladjusted or whatever um or not it's just it's a fascinating book so that's convenience store woman by sayaka Murata, and it's translated by jenny tapley takamori I gotta read that one of these days. I've heard so many good reviews. Yeah, and it's super short. Like, you could read it in a sitting. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I picked for you Gods of Jade and Shadow by Silvia Moreno-Garcia, who is from Mexico and currently lives in Canada. She's not from the other side of the world. But when you said that you were a Latinx and, like, you really liked the Rick Riordan books and, you know enjoy um, mix the real world with a bit of fantasy supernatural I was like oh you need this book like this you need this one Uh, so this I just got done reading it it's so great it is set in southern Mexico and the main character Cassiopeia Tun is a like poor relation in the house of her grandfather who is 
abusive and terrible. And it is set during the Jazz Age, which is fascinating because I have never thought about what the Jazz Age was like, like elsewhere in the world, because, you know, U.S. blinders. And this was so cool, like such an interesting thing to explore. And Marina Garcia has written some interesting essays, too, about why she picked that exact time period. Super fascinating. So it's a little bit of a Cinderella story, except that like Cassiopeia, like very specifically is like, yeah, this is not a Cinderella story because like I'm stuck here forever. <laughs> like I am going to be a poor relation. My mother is, you know, here with me. Neither of us have any real agency. Like we just are existing to serve others and it sucks. And then she, and also she is in this constant like sort of power struggle with her cousin Martine, who, you know, wants to be the man of the house but is very ineffectual and spoiled and just really obnoxious. So one day she is like, you know, struggling with her feelings of rebellion and she finds a wooden chest in her grandfather's room and she opens it and whoopsie, it contained the spirit of a Mayan god of death. Darn. (laughs) Who is like, cool, you're going to help me get my throne back. I was betrayed by my brother. We're going to go on a quest. And she's like, what? And so she does end up going on this epic quest with this Mayan god. And it is so atmospheric and the way that Marina Garcia blends like this historical period with these mythic Mayan elements is amazing. It's seamless. And I love the voice of this too, because it does feel like it takes place in that like sort of fable space in terms of the writing, which is really interesting because I haven't seen her do that before. And Cassiopeia, I, I had like a whole mini book club in DMs about this book with uh, Jamie Canaves, actually, because we were talking about how it's really fascinating because Cassiopeia has her own journey, but she's also the whole thing is like the arc is about her having to help this Mayan god regain his throne. So theoretically, her journey is in service to a man just like her previous life was in service to her grandfather and his family. But the way that Moreno Garcia like takes that trope and breaks it wide open from the inside is just amazing. I love this book so much. Uh, so again, that's The Gods of Jade and Shadow by Silvia Moreno Garcia. Okay, our last question is from Joelle, who says, I'm looking for a new book slash books to read after finishing the books by Nina LaCour. I like books with queer characters, especially women loving women and trans characters set in Western cities like LA, San Francisco, Seattle, and Portland, where the city plays a big part of the book. I've read Little and Lion, Juliet Takes a Breath, and When Dimple Met Rishi. Okay, so I picked Passing Strange by Ellen Clegg. Sorry, I usually look that up before the show. I just realized I don't know how to say her last name. Clagues? K-L-A-G-E-S. And this is a tour.com novella. It takes place in San Francisco in 1940. I love this book so much. It's got a little bit of like magic, fantasical element. It's about six women. They're all they're all lesbians, if I remember correctly. Um, and they live in Chinatown in San Francisco in 1940. And they're all kind of um, a little bit under the radar for whatever various reasons like one of the women is a lawyer but she's uh she's chinese and also queer and so like her life is really complicated and the in san francisco in 1940 there's an artist um who is posing as a man so that she can get uh what's the word commissions to illustrate book covers um a lot of them congregate at a specific club uh, for queer people that's like constantly under 
I mean, attack essentially by the local police. Um, and so that is the setting in which this is happening. The city of San Francisco in the 40s definitely is like a character in this novella. And you're following two women out of this group of friends who fall in love with each other. And uh, one of them has a husband who's away. I think he's like a merchant marine or something like that, uh, who comes home and threatens her life, their, threatens their whole way of life and their relationship together. And so the two of them, along with their family of, you know, like found family of friends have to figure out how to get themselves out of this pickle where like the police are involved and the law is involved and neither of those things are on the side of women queer people or anyone who isn't white in 1940 um and they the way that they solve this issue has kind of a magical tint not tint like it's magical they solve it with magic basically the 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 way that magic in this book is is used is really fascinating because it's very much old world like the characters who have um supernatural or magical abilities get them from like their grandmother who came from poland who like could bend time with her brain and a match and that kind of stuff and it's just i love that i love like quirky and not you know like elves in a field though don't get me wrong i love elves in a field but magic that isn't (laughs) that uh that's like a little bit more urban um and folklorish right up my alley so that's passing strange by ellen Mm, clakes i'm gonna go with sorry (laughs) nice (laughs) Um, I'm going to be laughing about elves in a field for a while. (laughs) Elves in a field. I love an elf in a field. I also love love not that. Yeah. Oh, same though. Um, Okay. So I picked for you About a Girl by Sarah McCary, which is technically the third in the Metamorphoses trilogy, but I think every book in this series stands pretty nicely on its own. If you had read the other two, that would give you more back information about some of the side characters, but it's totally possible to dive into the series right here and then go back if you care to. And this is a heliqueer story that takes place primarily in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, 18-year-old Tally is our protagonist slash narrator, and she is very precocious. She is basically a genius and is going to be like a Nobel Prize winning astronomer. And she works in a bookshop and she's got a best friend and, you know, she's got a loving family and, you know, things are pretty tidy and she likes it that way. She does not want things to be illogical. She doesn't want things to be complicated or messy. She wants things to be simple and straightforward and direct. And she, part of her backstory is that her mother abandoned her after birth and she, her family is adoptive and she finds out a thing that changes everything for her. And she now has to set out on a quest of her own to understand more about herself and her past. Like suddenly she's not able to ignore her past anymore. She has to know more about it. And in the process, she meets a girl named Maddie who she falls totally in love with and who will turn out to be pivotal in her quest. No spoilers here, though. And oh my gosh, I loved this book so much. Tally is such a great narrator. She's so funny. She's so like just not having it. But also all of these like illogical, magical things are gonna happen to her and her figuring out how to deal with mess and magic and nuance and, you know, feelings sort of is an amazing journey to watch. And then there's like the actual like epic quest that she's on, which is fantastic and so beautifully mythological, but also grounded in the real world, which is obviously like these are the themes of my last two picks. I love that. I love it. 
And I think it will give you exactly what you're looking for. And then I do recommend going back and reading the rest of the series. But this one is the queerest of the three. Uh, And so that's why I picked it in particular for you. So again, that's About a Girl by Sarah McCary. And that is the third book in the Metamorphoses series. And that's our show. <laughs> Thank you all. I so I know. We, you know, it's a little musical today. We're a little musical. <laughs> I've had a lot of caffeine. What can I say? Uh, thank you all so much for listening. If you are so inspired, you can leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts, which we appreciate. It lets us know how we're doing, and it also helps other people to find this show. Thank you to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. And you can find us also on social media. Amanda, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I am on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL, and on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.